Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with his word, and more in love with people. Let me say happy Easter, amen, to each and every one of you. And uh, I guess, you know, it, it's kind of tradition. People say he is risen. Amen. Isn't that good to know that Jesus is alive? Amen. And uh, that's why we've come today. And I'm glad that you are here in the Lord's house. You could have chosen to worship anywhere else, but I'm thankful that you chose to be here this morning. We're going to do something a little bit different today. Um, the choir has put together uh, a grouping of songs that I hope will be an encouragement, a blessing to you, but it'll also challenge you to think about your faith. And, and maybe you're here today, and maybe you've not yet trusted Christ as your Savior. Maybe these songs would be used. Maybe the Lord will use these songs to begin to speak to your heart this morning, and I pray that he will. Because the reality is today, we remember the true Easter story. Amen? And we rejoice. We actually rejoice in our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when I think about it, scripture and history reveal the God of grace, the God who actually speaks, the God who acts, the God who listens, the God who loves. In fact, the last part of Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 22, the Bible says, without shedding of blood, there is no remission, or, and that word remission is speaking of forgiveness. And sadly, throughout history, before Jesus came, sadly, people, year after year, they were making sacrifices. And those sacrifices reminded them of the high cost of sin and the high cost of disobedience. But when Jesus came, when he laid down his life, he shed his blood so that you and I might be redeemed. And the night that he was betrayed, I was, we had the Lord's Supper. We observed the Lord's Supper last week. And I was thinking about this on the night in which Jesus was betrayed. He's, he's eating with his disciples, his closest followers, the Passover feast. And in Matthew chapter 26, it, it, you see this coming true in scripture. He paints this beautiful portrait of what was yet to come through his, his death and his burial and resurrection. But he paints this beautiful portrait when he takes up the cup and he gives thanks for it. And then he gives it to his disciples and he says, drink ye all of it. And he says these words, he said, for this is my blood of the New Testament. He said, which is shed for many for the remission or forgiveness of sins. On the cross, Jesus became that perfect, sinless lamb. And with his own blood, he paid the price. And he offered one sacrifice forever in order to redeem us. I hope you'll enjoy this.
Yes, the blood that washes away sin, it will never lose its power. You know, it reaches to the highest mountain and all the way down to the lowest valley. Truly, this Savior that we're singing about, he's the only one that could create something out of nothing. He's the only one that could put stars in their sockets. He's the only one that could breathe life into a handful of clay. Oh, he's the only one that today can remove the storms and the raging seas of life. And he's the only one that has the power to redeem. Isaiah chapter 53 reminds us from Scripture that he was wounded for our transgressions. And he was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. So if we're going to sing, if we're going to praise, if we're going to worship anyone, it's clear to me that all the praise should go to Jesus.
one thing I've learned in life is that life can be tough at times. Trouble and heartache, they're a part of living. Whether you're a believer or not, tough times come. And you know, Jesus never promised a world that would be free without pain. In fact, he said quite the opposite. Before enduring the punishment and agony of, of enduring the cross, he actually told his disciples, he said, listen, in this world, you're going to face tribulation. You're going to trace you're going to face troubles. He said, but you can have cheer. You can be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. Folks, with Jesus, we can overcome any and every stronghold that we face because Scripture celebrates a truth that reminds us that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. With Jesus, we have a hope. And we not only have a hope, we have a hope that is real. And with Jesus, the past needs to stay right where it belongs, in the past.
Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. The Bible actually says something very strange. It says that God actually commended or that he proved his love to us in that while we were still in our sin, that Jesus Christ died for us. Yes, Jesus was beaten. He was crucified and he was buried. But as one song declares, death could not hold him. The veil tore before him. He silenced the boast of sin and grave. Yes, Jesus has overcome every obstacle. He has defeated every enemy in order to rescue you and me from the curse of sin. He could not, he cannot, and he will not be defeated. Amen? And because he is alive, he is alive, amen? And because he's alive, for those who believe, we also shall live.
Well, let me just say, as we're transitioning, uh, I just want to say thank you uh, to everybody that helped, our media folks, Gordon and Denise and Stacy and Shane and, and uh, really Chad, thank you for stepping up and leading the choir. He's done a phenomenal job over the past month in uh, getting us to this point, and so thank you very much uh, for that. And uh, all I can say is God is good, amen? Well, thank you so much. Let's, uh, let's do this. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. If you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 27, but let's do this. Let's have a word of prayer. Aren't you thankful that we can live because of Jesus? Amen. What a wonderful, wonderful thought. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time that we've had already to, to sing songs of worship and praise. And God, we give you the praise. Because you are the only one who is worthy of. Lord, we thank you for what you've done through Jesus. And providing the way. <laughs> the way, the truth, and the life. What a, what a precious promise. Lord, I pray that uh, now as we look at your word, just for a few moments of time, Lord, that you would draw our hearts closer to you. That you'll open up the eyes of our understanding. And Lord, for those who are believers today, God, I pray that you would just draw us closer to you. God, that you might burn a new fire. Just recreate that, that fire inside of us that we might be your representatives, that we would represent you well. Lord, I pray for those that might be in this room or maybe watching online that have never entered into a relationship with you through your son. Lord, I pray that today that you would give uh, clarity of thought. Lord, that your word might fall upon the good soil of their hearts. And Lord, that they might recognize your love and their need, and that they would trust Christ today. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us through the next few moments of time. Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise. I pray that you have your will and your way during this time, and we will give you all the honor and the glory because you deserve it. And we pray this and ask this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus, and for his sake, amen. Well, in case you're, in case you're still trying to figure out what's going on in this place today, or maybe... Uh, what all this fuss is about, the truth is that we've gathered to rejoice, amen? It's a day that we've gathered to rejoice in the resurrection of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus, the sting of death is gone. Hold on, let me say that again. It's Easter. Because of Jesus, the sting of death is gone, amen? And uh, the uncertainty of the grave uh, has been overcome. And for those who believe, the reality is that you have a living hope that will last Forever and ever and ever and ever. Yes, as believers, we can honestly say, as Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, thanks be to God, amen, which gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Oh, listen, this morning we've taken time musically to sing uh, as a congregation, as a choir to worship the Lord in music and We've sung about His amazing grace, the fact that He lives, the fact that because He lives, we're going to live. We've sung about our hope that we have in Jesus Christ as a choir. You heard about the power of His shed blood, the praise that only He deserves, the restoration that He brings, and that in Him, there ain't no grave going to hold this body down. I keep telling my wife that. Listen, you might hold me down, but the grave isn't going to hold me down. Amen? And uh, no, she doesn't hold me down. I'll tell you what. I've been very, very blessed, very, very blessed with a great woman, a great woman of God, and I'm thankful for her. So all of these songs of acknowledgement, the songs of praise, the songs of worship, I want us to consider today, just for a second, 
and maybe you see it on the screen behind me, the most important question of all. It's like, okay, so we gathered here on Easter, we're all dressed up, some have got the memo that said, it is pastel Sunday. You got the memo, like wear pastel colors. Some of you dusted off a jacket and a tie and decided, you know what, I'm going to wear a tie today, because my wife asked me, right? Whatever the case is, we've gathered together, but I think it's important that we ask a personal question. It's a pressing question, and quite honestly, in our text, it's a question that Pontius Pilate, he was the governor of Judea, he's the one that asked this question in Matthew chapter 27. And so if you have your Bible, look with me in Matthew chapter 7. Pilate, what you need to know is this guy was a well-trained, uh, commissioned. He was commissioned by Rome. He's not only commissioned to be the judge, but if you know, he's commissioned to be the prosecutor and the defense attorney all in one. So he's both attorneys and the judge. Anybody want to go to a court case like that? He was experienced in the affairs of politics and government. And at this point, Pilate's been in office about 10 years or so. And so what that tells us is that he was highly trusted by Rome to kind of keep things under control. And history reveals that the Jewish people, they actually despised Pilate. And Pilate despised them, especially for their intense religious practices. And so the bottom line is that they didn't like one another. Okay, they didn't like one another at all. So with this in mind, let's read our text. Look in verse number 11. I just want to read some verses here and then we'll kind of make some comments and, and see what the Lord has for us. In verse number 11, the Bible says, And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not many things? These, these guys are witnessing against you. And he answered them never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at the feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would, and they, had, they then had a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate says unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you? He says, Do you want Barabbas? He says, Or do you want Jesus, which is called the Christ? Verse number 18 says, For he knew that for envy... They had delivered him. He knew it was out of jealousy that they had brought Jesus before him. Verse number 19, And when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the two will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. And Pilate says unto them again, he says, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. Verse 23, the governor said, Why? He says, Why, why do you want him to be crucified? He says, What evil? He says, What evil has he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather that a tumult, that word tumult means a riot is breaking out. He says, when he saw that nothing could be done and a riot's breaking out, he takes water and he says, and washed his hands before the multitude saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. He said, see ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, his blood be on us and on our children. And then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him 
to be crucified. Now Matthew's gospel only gives us the bare facts surrounding this this illegal trial, if you please, this effort to get rid of Jesus. We only have the bare facts. But in verse 18, as I said, Pilate understood that the reason they had brought Jesus before him was because they were jealous. They were jealous of what was taking place, that people were beginning to hear the good news, the message of hope that Jesus was bringing. And so they were jealous that their position and their popularity and their power was going to be waning, and so they're jealous. But there were also other reasons why they brought him. And we'll not take time to go there, but in Matthew chapter 26, the reality is if you look over there, you can look on your Bible if you want. Beginning in verse number 63, you see Jesus, he's actually brought before the religious religious leaders and then Caiaphas the high priest. And so what they do is in this passage, they bring a lot of false witnesses. They bring a lot of people to tell lies about Jesus. You know that still happens today? They brought a lot of false witnesses to say some things that were not necessarily so about Jesus so that they could convict him, so that they could try him for a crime that he had not committed. And when you look over to Luke's gospel account, it tells us that they finally, they actually delivered Jesus to Pilate. And in Luke chapter 23 and verse number 2, the Bible tells us that they actually charged Jesus with treason. And here's what it says, it's saying that we found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Throughout Scripture and quite honestly throughout this century that we're living in, we see the various responses of people who have to ask the question about Jesus. We see the responses in Scripture of the people who were involved in this horrific ordeal. But today I simply want to ask you, I want us to ask ourselves, if you're online watching, I want you to ask yourselves the same question that Pilate posed in verse number 22 of our text. And notice what Pilate said. He said these words. He said, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? So the question is, what do we do with Jesus Pilate was, by the way, remember, he's supposed to be prosecutor, defense attorney, and judge. But instead of doing his job, he asked the people what they want to do with Jesus. Instead of making a decision, say, hold on, Pilate, you're judge, you're prosecuting attorney, you're the defense attorney, why don't you just make a decision? Instead of doing that, he asked the people. He knows Jesus is innocent, as we can see over and over in Scripture. But Pilate, he comes up with this scheme because every year at the Passover feast, there was a tradition that the governor of Judea would release one prisoner unto the people. So he has this idea, he has a scheme that he's going to be able to get rid of Jesus. He's not going to have to deal with this problem that has been brought before him. And so in order to promote goodwill, he says, hey, who do you want? Do you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus? Now God's word tells us all we need to know about Barabbas. In fact, in all the different gospel accounts, we find out that Barabbas was a notable prisoner, and that's in Matthew and Mark and Luke. We find out that he's guilty of sedition, he's guilty of murder, and then in the gospel of John, we find out that Barabbas is actually a robber. So let's suffice it to say, Barabbas is a bad dude. The people didn't want him running loose in the community. But yet Pilate says, which one do you want? you want Barabbas or Jesus? And if you look at verse 20, we see the response. It gives us a glimpse of the chief priest and and what the elders did to get their way. Notice it says, the Bible says they persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. 
Do you know there's a world in which we live that people are trying to persuade men and women and young people to have nothing to do with Jesus? Can I tell you lovingly, Jesus loves you. I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to have something to do with Jesus. But there's a world out there that was trying to convince you and trying to convince me to have nothing to do with Jesus just as they were here in Scripture. And obviously their efforts work because look at verse 22. Two verses later, all the people refer to Jesus by saying, let him be crucified. Verse 23, Pilate says, what evil has he done? The people cry out more. They say, let him be crucified. Verse 24, I told you a riot breaks out. If you go over to Luke's gospel in Luke 23, 18, we can see that things escalate until the people say these words. They say, away with this man. Get rid of him. Take him away. Release unto us Barabbas. Back in our text, look at verse 25. The people definitively answer Pilate's question in verse 25 with a sad answer. They say, his blood be on us. And not only us. They say, you want to wash your hands? You want to be innocent of this just man's blood? Fine. But the people, here's how they answered. They said, here's what we're going to do. We're responding this way. His blood be on us. Not only on us, but on our children. The religious leaders take it a step further. Their hatred is so deep for Jesus. In John chapter 19, the Bible tells us in verse 14, the Pilate says unto the Jews, he, he literally brings Jesus before him and he says, Behold, your king. And then in verse number 15, Scripture says that they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate then says unto them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests, notice what they say. They say, We have no king but Caesar. How crazy is that? These self-proclaimed men of righteousness despise Jesus so much that they end up declaring their allegiance to a man they hate. And if we're not careful, that's what we do. We're not careful, that's what we do. The people answer, the religious leaders, they answer, but ultimately, Pilate has to answer his own question. It's one of those questions he wants somebody else to answer. He wants to wash his hands of the situation, but he has to answer. In fact, Scripture, if you compare all the gospel accounts, you find that Pilate did a number of things. The first thing he tried to do, he tried to send him away. In fact, in Luke 23, 6 and 7, the Bible says that he, he tries to get rid of Jesus. He actually sends him to Herod. By the way, he and Herod hate each other. So he sends Jesus to Herod. Herod uses Jesus as some kind of magical uh, puppet. He says, hey, do some miracles for me. He mocks Jesus, and then Herod says, guess what? Get on back over to Pilate. I find no fault in him. And so he tries to release him. He tries to, he tries to send him away, and then he tries to release him. Luke's gospel tells us on three separate occasions how he tries to release him. And so what does Pilate do? He becomes a people pleaser. His response is, I'll wash my hands and be done with this whole thing. But ultimately, after Jesus is whipped and beaten, Pilate actually passes judgment on him. If you missed it in our text, notice in verse number 24, he says, I'm innocent of this man's blood, of this just person. And then he says these words, he says, see ye to it. You guys want to crucify him, you guys take care of this. And then drop down in verse 26, it says, when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The people answer, the religious leaders answer, Herod and Pilate both answer. 
And then what we find out is Jesus is tortured, he's crucified, he dies on the cross. And you know what? That's a sad story, isn't it? That's a horrific story. Some of you may have seen movies where they've depicted the beating and the, the whipping and the death and the burial of, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But if that were the end of the story, it would be a sad story. But I got some good news for you. The story, the story doesn't end there. In, in fact, the story goes on. Look down at verse 62. You might have to flip the page. In Matthew 27, in verse number 62, notice what Scripture says. It says, now the next day. So we have Jesus. He's died on the cross. And notice it says, the next day that followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together under Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that the deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days, I will rise again. And you know what? That's exactly what he did. Verse 64 says, Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure on the, uh, until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say unto the people that he has risen from the dead, so that the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate says unto them, You have a watch. Go your way. Make it as sure as you can. Verse 66 says, So they went and made the sepulcher sure. Sealing the stone and setting a watch. Verse 1 of chapter 28, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And his countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. I guess you'd probably shake too. If you were watching a tomb or a stone and all of a sudden angels come and they roll back the stone, I guess you'd probably uh, act the same way. But notice, verse 5 says, The angel answered and said unto the women, Fear ye not, for I know that you seek Jesus which was crucified. Verse 6, He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay. And then after you see where he's laid, look at verse 7. It says, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. And watch what they did. Verse 8. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples the word. Verse 6 says that he is risen. The angel says he's, he's not here. He is risen. And that's the good news of Easter morning, of Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. Amen? Amen. He's no longer in the grave. And the gospel, all, every gospel record, by the way, actually agrees. In fact, history agrees. You don't have to simply look at Scripture. Actually, history actually agrees with what took place after Jesus' death on the cross. But I don't want you just to simply take it for granted that I just said that. I want you to look back a few verses. Look at verse 50. Verse 50 of Matthew chapter 27. I want you to see what happens before the part that I just read to you about him being risen from the dead. Notice it says, Jesus in verse 50, when he had cried again with a loud voice. He's on the cross at this point. He cries with a loud voice and he yields up the ghost. In other words, he dies. Verse 51, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain or in two from the top and the bottom, and the earth did quake and rocks rent. And the graves were opened, watch this, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after, after his resurrection. 
and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Hold on a second. After Jesus rises from the dead, a bunch of saints rise from their grave and they go into the holy city. I don't know about you, that would, that would probably mess me up. Be like, bro, I, I thought I attended your memorial service last week. And all of a sudden they're walking around in the holy city. you got to be kidding me. This is what the scripture says. It says they came out of their graves after his resurrection, went into the holy city and appeared to many. Look at verse 54. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly saying, uh-oh. What did they say? They said, truly, truly this the people who crucified him. Truly, this was the Son of God. In Mark's gospel, Mark 30, uh, 15, 39 says that the centurion saw that he, Jesus, when he saw that Jesus so cried out and gave up the ghost, he immediately said, truly, this man was the Son of God. In other words, after witnessing what Jesus did, after seeing what Jesus did on the cross, and there's a whole lot of things that we could talk about that he did even while he was on the cross. But after witnessing everything that took place, this man who was skilled at putting people to death, this man who hated the Jewish people, this man who was working for the government, he literally says, truly, this guy, we've put a lot of people to death. I'm just, I'm, I'm just, think with me. We've put a lot of people to death, but this guy was truly the son of God. He's convinced of who Jesus says he is. Luke chapter 23 and verse 48, the Bible tells us that all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, they smote their breast and then they returned. In other words, when the people saw what was done to Jesus, when they saw him on the cross, they were conscious of their own guilt and their need and they feared that some type of reprisal or judgment might fall upon them for crucifying Jesus the Christ. In many ways, they were right, despite God's immense love for them. And so the scripture, very clearly, very quickly, I've pointed out that the chief priest said, we have no king but Caesar. The people, remember when Jesus makes his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, they're waving palm branches and saying, Hosanna in the highest. Just a few short days later, They've been convinced to scream out, crucify him. That's crazy. It doesn't make sense. His closest followers, except John, if you do a further study, they all, they all basically forsook Jesus. And even Pilate, he tries to get rid of him. He tries to release him. He tries to wash his hands of him. But today, the question is not for all of these people in Scripture. The question is for us. You see, the question is, what is our response? What will you do with Jesus and I'll be honest with you, there's many times in my life, even as a believer, you, listen, watch this, watch this, believers. There have been many times in my life, even as a believer, that I have tried to ignore the question, what will I do with Jesus today? I get up, got my own plans, got my own priorities, I got my own thoughts, my own ways, which don't compare to God's ways. And so we have to be very careful as even as those who have already trusted Christ. We have to ask ourselves, what are we going to do with Jesus today? Oh, it's Easter and we've come together and we're, we're in the Lord's house and we're worshiping and we're singing songs of praise and, and on and on we think about all that Jesus has done. But as believers, we have to ask ourselves this question. Is Jesus truly the Lord of our life or is he only 
your Savior. You see, because if He's your Lord, I want to encourage you, you're going to be growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If He's your Lord, you should be walking worthy of that vocation wherewith you are called. We're to walk as children of love, children of light. We're to walk in wisdom. Well, listen, we're to be learning and developing our heart and mind to follow that humble example that Paul talked about in Philippians chapter 2. Oh, listen, wherever you're at today, if you're a believer, I would say that on Easter Sunday, 2022, hey, is there a lot going on in our world right now? I'd say that Easter Sunday, 2022, is a pretty good day to ask yourself again, what will I do with Jesus today? Am I going to make excuses? Am I going to point fingers at everybody else why I'm not walking with Jesus? Or am I going to recommit myself in this moment to walk with Him and to let Him speak to me and to let His love envelop my life? Maybe you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus. Can I just tell you, quite honestly, quite simply, God loves you. And not only does God love you, Jesus loves you. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now here's the deal. God loves you and I. He loved you so much that he willingly sent and gave his son. Jesus loves you so much that he willingly came and died. What a wonderful God we serve. Oh, listen, Jesus lived a sinless life. Born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, never committed one sin. He died, he was beaten, he was bruised, he was wounded for our transgressions and our iniquities and, and he placed himself on the cross and he died a death that I deserve. He died a death that we all really, quite honestly, deserve. He was buried and then three days later the Bible says that he arose and he conquered death. He conquered the grave and he conquered an awful place called hell so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be rescued. And, and here's the thing, because we have all sinned, by the way, you know my dad never had to tell me, I know that's a weird thing, like you come to church and you're like, oh, is the preacher gonna say that we're sinners? You never had to, my dad never had to tell me I was a sinner. I actually knew it, right? I think we probably all know that we're sinners. You don't need me to remind you of that, right? My parents never had to say, Hey, little Greg, you're a sinner, <laughs> right? I knew that. Back in the day, some of you won't remember this store, but some of you will, a place called Kresge's. And uh, you're like, what's Kresge's? Well, it's a forerunner to Kmart and Walmart. Some of you don't even know what Walmart is, or Kmart is. Kmart's even gone. The blue light is not bouncing anymore. <laughs> it's gone. I remember, I remember, you know, don't touch that. Don't touch that. I'm just looking at it. Well, look with your eyes, not your hands. That's a, that's a message, by the way, that I passed on to my boys when they were growing up. Here's the thing. Because we've all sinned, the Bible tells us... Here's the, here's the, here's the tragic thing. It's like, because we've all sinned, the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that we've actually come short. We, we haven't measured up. We've come short of God's glory. And so if God's glory is here, we've come short of God's glory. A few verses, a few chapters later in chapter 6 and verse 23, the Bible says that the wage or the payment for our sin is spiritual, physical death, right? We could talk about that forever. But I like to focus on the last part because it says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Who doesn't like a gift? I like gifts. And so God says, I love you so much. You need a Savior. And so guess what? I'm coming. I'm going to come. And I'm going to wrap myself in human flesh. I'm going to clothe myself in humanity. And I'm going to set an example for you to follow. And I'm going to live a holy and a separated life. And I'm going to offer my life as a ransom, as a sacrifice, as an atoning sacrifice for you. And all you have to do is to believe that I am who I say I am. All you have to do is understand that this way is not working for you. And turn and say, Jesus, yes, to your will and to your way. Isn't that simple? It really is simple. A lot of churches make it difficult. By the way, what I'm talking to you about today is not about a Baptist faith. By the way, there's no such thing as a Baptist faith, a Methodist faith, an Episcopalian faith, or a Catholic faith. There's one faith, and it's Jesus Christ. Okay? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. So what you and I do with Jesus is pretty important. Someone much smarter than I once said, don't put off till tomorrow what you know you need to do today. I shared that last week, actually. Kind of reminded me that I would share it again today. The truth of God's word reveals that none of us have a so-called blank check on tomorrow. Today is Sunday. On Friday, we had a memorial service for one of our dear ladies. We rejoiced, we remembered, and we rejoiced in the life that she lived in Jesus Christ. She was a woman of faith. And she lived her life loving and serving Jesus. How amazing is it that on Friday we had a memorial service here and then on Sunday we're talking about Jesus who said he was the resurrection and the life. Oh my friends, don't miss out on the greatest gift that's ever been offered. So the question comes back to what, what do I do with Jesus? It's like I don't know. What do I do with Jesus today? I can tell you the opportunity is here. The Bible says, boast not thyself for tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. James actually says that our life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. Do you know that that vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away, I cannot tell you when the vapor of your life will vanish away. But as I said a few weeks ago, in Jesus, whether you die, you live, or whether you live, you live. Amen? Oh, my friends, I encourage you today. Listen, I think, I, I put in my notes, I think it, we can all see a little of ourselves in Barabbas. You're like, what? I think we can see a little bit of ourselves in Barabbas. You think about Barabbas' situation. He was a notable prisoner. He was a robber. He was guilty of sedition and on and on. You're like, hey, uh, brother, I'm not guilty of sedition and robbery, and I'm not a notable prisoner. What, what's the key? I think we're a little bit like Barabbas. You see, because Barabbas, he deserved death. But because of Jesus, because Jesus took his place, Barabbas actually got another opportunity to live. And the same is true for us. John 14 and verse 19, Jesus said to his disciples, Because I live, you shall also live. In 1 John chapter 5, I close with this verse. The Bible says, John says, and this is the record. In verse 11, he says, and this is the record that God has given unto us eternal life. And where does this life come from? He says, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son, 
Watch what he says. He that has the Son has life, and he that has not the Son has not life. It's been said that heaven's not a reward for the righteous, but a gift for the guilty. If you've never turned from doing things your way, I'm guilty. I think we're all guilty of doing things our way. <laughs> if you've never turned from doing things your way, you're like, man, I'm just going to serve, I'm going to work, I'm going I'm to do this, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to work my way to heaven. I love you, but it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You can be the sweetest, the nicest, the most noble person in this planet. And Jesus, is, his message is simple. It's very clear. It says, I love you. I love you. And I want you to have a life beyond the life that you're living now. I've come to give you an abundant life. And all you have to do is to believe that I am who I say I am. All you have to do is to receive me unto yourself. Listen, I share this many times at services when I do memorial services. And some of you have heard it. And I won't tell the whole story. But I remember years ago, when my youngest son was getting ready for a Bible club. We had just come back from Missouri, and they have, we have Awana Bible Clubs for the kids. And he was probably a 10, 11, maybe 12 at that time. He was much shorter than he is now. He's going on 22. And uh, he had his shirt and supposed to put a patch on it that said, my favorite Bible verse is. And so he brought it to me, and I didn't put the patch on. I thought Mom would take care of it. And uh, the reality is the shirt sat right there on the washing machine. A week later, he comes, and he's like, Dad, i got to have my shirt. Let's go. Like, chop, 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 like kids often do. And he says, get it ready. I didn't know what to do. I didn't have sewing kit or anything, and I'm not the most skilled sewer of all. So I took this stuff that you could heat up and it acts as glue. And I pressed that patch on there. I used the iron, got it hot, pressed the patch on there. Away he went with his shirt, a little Sharpie marker. And he came back and he had his shirt on. He was ready for Bible club. And on his patch, he had written R-O-M-10 colon 13. Now some of you may or may not know my favorite number is 13. I'll not go into the whole story surrounding that. But I said, what's up with that? I said, what's ROM? What's ROM 1013? And out of the mouth of a child, he said, Dad, it's not ROM. It's Romans. And I said, why is that your favorite verse? And he said, Dad, he said, that's my favorite verse because that verse pretty much says it all. And I looked at him and I said, what's Rom 10.13 say? And he said, Dad, Romans 10.13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Kid's pretty smart. He didn't make it difficult. 
Well, he understood it wasn't about church membership. He understood it wasn't about how much you give or how much you serve. He understood it wasn't about how many Sundays a year you come to church, although it should be 52. <laughs> Just saying. He understood that all it was about was the fact that Jesus loved him. He understood that all he needed to do was to call out upon the name of the Lord and say, Jesus, you know I'm a sinner. Jesus, you know that I need you. And your word says that if I'll call on you, that you will save me. And so I would be derelict in my duties today if we didn't close in a word of prayer, and we're going to do it. And I'm going to ask you to do this. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, it's not about me embarrassing you. It's not about me calling you up and pointing you out. It's a very personal, it's a very important decision. The most important question of all is what will you do with Jesus? And so if you've never called upon the name of the Lord, can I beg you with all that's in my heart, can I beg you to, to ask him to do what only he can do today and to begin to change you from the inside out? Would you pray with me as we're praying? Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you say, Pastor, I'll be honest with you, that's me. I know a lot about Jesus. I've sung about Jesus. I've heard about Jesus. My grandparents, my mom, my dad, somebody's told me about Jesus, but I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. And I want to do it, but I don't know really how. Can I tell you, it's not about a mystical, magical set of words. It's about your belief system. It's about whether inside of your heart you believe that Jesus is Lord and if you believe that he died in your place, it's not about something that I can give you. It's something that he has already done for you. And I would encourage you. Again, it's not about a prayer, but about a step of faith in that belief in Jesus. But I would encourage you to pray unto the Lord and ask him to do what only he can do. Maybe you'd say a prayer like this, dear Jesus. I've realized that I'm a sinner. The pastor didn't have to tell me. Nobody had to tell me that. And I understand that what I deserve is not good, but Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for the truth that you are God's only son. I thank you for the truth that you came, you lived, and you died for me. Jesus, I'm asking you to save me. I'm asking you to change me from the inside. Not like the world tries to change me, but I'm asking you to begin this relationship, to enter in this relationship with you, and I'm asking you to begin to change me from the inside out. Jesus, the best I know how at this time and in this place, I'm accepting you as my Lord and Savior. And I just want to tell you, thank you. Thank you for saving my soul. Thank you for dying in my place. Help me to live a life that brings you honor and glory from this day forward.